The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, let me add my welcome to you as we get closer and closer to the official beginning of fall. My name's Ryan Church, one of the guys on staff uh, here at the inn. And I don't, I don't just work in this neighborhood. I live in it as well. So just so that you guys know that. Uh, hey, party. Come on, party. I like to party. There's been times in my life where I might even been considered a party animal. And in fact, uh, this weekend, I, I had a chance to... Uh, to attend a party where there was tons of there was tons of great food. There was there were some pretty sweet drinks. There were there were fun games being played. All the stuff that you could want in a party, you know, because it was my five year old son's fifth birthday. Of course, we even had a pinata, a football pinata that just would not give. I mean, Carson was beating this thing with a golf club, and I mean, he had to beat it before it finally yielded uh, the sweet treats that were inside. So that was on Friday. And then on Saturday, I think uh, I, it, it probably could be considered a party because I was with literally thousands, thousands of others that were also wearing the same colors that I was, purple and gold, because I got to go to Chicago and watch the dogs beat up on Illinois, which was nice. Good times for sure, partying with other dog fans uh, in Chicago. But the coolest party that I've had thrown for me was a party that was this last spring uh, that my, my wife threw for me, okay? Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, I bet it was his 40th birthday. No, come on, people, throw me a freaking bone here. I don't, turn, I don't turn 40 for another several years. But my wife threw this big party for me uh, for completing my 10-year slog through seminary. Seminary is the type of graduate school that pastor types like me often, often go to. And, and it, took, it took 10 years to finish this degree. And so you're probably thinking, wow, 10 years, that must be some kind of degree that, that you all have to get when you're doing this. And it is. I mean, you know, you've got to study you know, uh, Hebrew and Koine Greek and church history and theology and ethics, all this stuff. Uh, you know, pretty robust degree, right? Well, most people do it in three years, and it took me 10. And so my wife throws, throws this, uh, this giant b- party for me. There was a live band, food, drinks, karaoke. It really had it all. Okay, I had on a sweet uh, bow tie. I was kind of like a, a sophista hipster, I'd like, to, I'd like to call it, because I had on a suit, sweet bow tie, sophista hipster. So this party was, was awesome. I told my wife, hey, you don't have to throw me another party till I turn at least 50, and that even might be uh, a little too soon. Pretty, pretty cool uh, experience uh, to be celebrated like that for sure, to have a giant party thrown for you that really was awesome. Uh, I lean into that uh, to say, and to, to ask, do you know, do you know that that's exactly what God wants to do for you? God wants to throw you a party. And even right now, I ask you, is that your, your mental image of God? Whatever you know about God, whatever you've learned in Sunday school, whatever you've, you might have heard from your friends or seen on TV, do you believe, do you know a God that wants to throw a party for you. 
we want to continue uh, in our kind of our final installment of the story uh, of reflecting on the story that Maddie just read for you. Uh, the story, the, the parable, parable of the prodigal son. Uh, in my opinion, it's probably more aptly titled the, the parable or the story of the lost sons because they both had a little bit of lostness as perhaps you heard in that story. But tonight we want to reflect primarily on this generous father that longs to celebrate with his beloved children. Before we, we continue our reflection, let's stop for a moment and pray together. God, as we gather, uh, as we get started in another year together, I pray that we would, we would connect more to the, the real truth of who you are, to what your character is. And Lord, where our minds need to be changed about who you are, uh, Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you might soften our hearts and open our minds uh, to receive whatever it is. And Lord, everything that we can from your word tonight. That's, that's my prayer for us individually, for us as a community. Lord, speak to us through your word. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to review a portion of the text that, that we've already read. And as a brief recap, two weeks ago, I reflected more on the younger son. And really this bizarre request that he gives his father uh, to have this money, go off, spend it before coming to and returning home. And then last week, Janie led us through an awesome reflection on, on really the reluctance of the older son. And no doubt for me, in each case, I can see a little bit of the younger son and a little bit of, of the older son in, in me. And I think that there's probably a, a bit of, of the younger son and the older son and their lostness in all of us, though we might connect more with one than the other. Uh, as I indicated tonight, I want you to, as I kind of recap a smaller portion of this text, I want you to pay attention to the words and the actions of the Father. Because Jesus is telling us a story where he's trying to inform us and give us a better idea about what is the heart and character of God. He tells a story that, that in, in Jesus' perception, uh, those words and actions are very specific. So pay attention to those as we, as we read uh, again from Luke 15. I'm going to start um, actually around the middle of the 20th verse. It says this, But while he, the younger son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on, on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and so they began to celebrate. Now, what do you see here in this father? What are, you, what are you connecting with? What do you see? Well, I see first and foremost a father that sees. Did you catch that? While the son was still a notable distance away, the text tells us that the father sees the son and runs to him. Now, apparently he sees 
better than he hears because as the son launches into this speech, you know, that where he's trying to apologize for everything that's happened and, and confess his shame, the, the father really isn't listening. He's just going about calling his servants, uh, embracing his son and calling his servants in, in this remarkable act of grace and generosity to go get a ring, a robe, sandals, kill the fattened path, kill the fattened path, kill the fattened calf. Strike up the band and let's have a party. While his son was still a long way off, he sees him and goes to him. Now, perhaps you remember from what Maddie just read that a little bit later on, the father also sees the older son. And the father also goes out to that son. And does what? Invites him to a party as well. The father sees, goes to both of his son and invites them to party. The party is thrown as a celebration of a father who so clearly seems eager to party and celebrate. And he tells us over that which was lost and is now Found. So let's reflect a little bit on what this celebration tells us about the heart of the Father in the parable uh, that Jesus has just has told us. Okay, first, this point that, that I was just trying to emphasize. God sees you. And really, God sees you before you see him because God is looking, even when you are not seems that Jesus wants us to know God's looking for you. Uh, this summer, I had the opportunity to, to play in this golf tournament with my dad. And as we're playing in this tournament, you know, you play with a bunch of different guys. And there was, there was one guy in particular that, that as, uh, as the week kind of went on, I, we, got to, we quickly became friends. And at one point uh, in the tournament, we're just sitting there um, kind of a break in the action, and, and he says, you know, he had heard that I was a pastor, and he said, Ryan, I, I've lost God. Um, somewhere along the line, I lost, I lost God. And I listened to him share a little bit, and, and after, he had, after he had stopped, I was just able to look back at him and say, look, you may, have, you may feel like you lost God, but what you need to know is that God has not lost you. You may have taken your eyes off of God, but God has not taken his eyes off of you. What the parable of the lost son tells us in so many ways is that God is looking for you. You may not be looking for him, and certainly before you were looking for him, before you were ever looking for him, God has God's eyes on you. Obviously, we're told this younger son had hit rock bottom. He was returning home with the, the figurative tail between the legs, broke, broken, and embarrassed. Now, I don't know how you are when you're feeling ashamed, uh, when you are feeling, you have that overwhelming feeling just that comes along with being embarrassed. But I imagine that's what was going on with the son. 
I know that if, if say, for example, my wife leaves uh, for the day or for the afternoon and gives me a, a list of things, hey, could you wash the kids' clothes and you know, do the dishes or do whatever, um, those moments where the day passes and I've done nothing and I get the text that says, hey, on my way home, smiley face, the anxiety immediately starts to rise. Okay, my wife, who has this massive capacity to just get crap done, okay, she also has a full-time job. We're raising our two children together, and I've done nothing that she's asked me to do. Immediately what happens is I start thinking, oh gosh, what am I going to say? Okay, how am I, I going to get out of this, right? And, and there's even times when I'm actually tempted to, to, to lie, to make something up so that I, I don't look as bad. I'm, I'm, I'm not as ashamed. In those moments, what happens? I become totally self-consumed. All I'm thinking about is me, 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 me. And so what ends up happening is instead of experiencing this great joy when my, my wife has returned home and interested in whatever might have gone on in her day, I'm, I find myself totally self-consumed. When really, Julie's just happy to be home with me. When really, she's not nearly as disappointed in me as I am in myself. And as a result, I find myself uh, not experiencing the same amount of joy that there could be. I know that there's a lot of us that are not necessarily looking for God um, because of, of the great shame that we, we may feel. And I'm here to stand in front of you and challenge that really quick. To say that in all the ways that you might be disappointed in yourself, odds are you are more disappointed in yourself than anybody else is disappointed in you. And God is still looking for you. Even as you are self-consumed, there's even a bit of an irony here, right? That even as you are looking at you, the reality is God is looking at you too. In the way that you are preoccupied with you, how might things change if you begin to understand more than I'm preoccupied with me, God is preoccupied with me. The God that wants to throw a party. God has his eyes on you and is looking for you even when you're not looking for him. Second, the father is dying to celebrate with you regardless of how you feel about it. Do you believe in a God that is, that is and has died to celebrate you, to celebrate with you? Again, the invitation that the father gives to his hedonistic son is to come in and have a party and celebrate. The invitation that the father gives to his older judgmental son is to come in and celebrate. Jesus is telling us that the heart of, a, of the father is a heart of cel celebration. When Julie threw me that big party last spring, honestly, I had some Gatsby-esque moments of going, what is this all about? What am, I, what am I actually doing here? 
You see, because I was aware as this party was being thrown for me that there were people in the room that were a lot smarter than I was. I was aware of the ways that honestly, I kind of faked it through a couple of those seminary classes just so that I could graduate. I was aware that part of the reason it took a decade to do that was because of my own laziness and dare I say, even just because of some of my own sin and apathy at times. And yet here we are having this big old party in my honor. There was something about it that didn't feel right. As these amazing toasts were given, like things that that honestly you hear and you go, wow, I actually get to hear this and I'm not dead yet. <laughs> these, are th- these are nice things that people say at somebody's funeral and I actually get to be here. And yet, as those toasts were given, I found myself kind of asterisking everything, going, oh, if they only knew. If they only knew what I know about myself, they would not be at this party. So much of me didn't feel like partying in that moment. The younger son simply comes to his senses, says the scripture, and returns home without getting himself together, without getting himself to a place where he makes amends and does things in such a way that I somehow deserve this party. Well, there's the flip side as well, right? That, that part of... in. I am, by the way, the, older, the, the oldest son in my family. It's me and, and uh, I, have, I have four younger sisters. And so I am also tempted, no doubt, towards some of those, those older son tendencies. Because even in that moment that I'm at, at this party being thrown for me and asterisking all those things, that, that pe- those nice things that people are saying about me, there's part of me that is saying, oh gosh, Somebody else deserves this party more than me. Sounds like the older son in the text, right? That somehow we can get to a place where we deserve the party, where I'm even making the judgment. I could look around the room at that party and say, they deserve a party. They've earned it. They deserve a party because they've earned it. You see, the younger son if he had his way, would probably not even want there to be a party because he would probably say something along the lines of, you know what, I kind of did that. You gave me a bunch of money. I went to a faraway place. I partied. I slept with prostitutes. I blew it all. Been there, done that. Don't bother. Thank you. I don't deserve this. And of course, the older son would say, yeah, there's a time to party. There's a time to party and that time is when you earn it. The difference is that the father says, no, there's a time to party. And that time to party is when I see you. The time to party is not when you get your crap together. It's not when you earn it. The time to party is when I see you, when that which was dead is alive, when that which is lost is found. Time to party. And not just party in, the hall, in, in, in a shallow way. The word that is used over and over is the word that's translated celebration. There's something to celebrate. And that something to celebrate is what was dead is alive. What was lost is found. Now, at this point in this talk, you should be tracking as college students. Why? Because all the statistics say that y'all like to party. 
And in fact, judging by some of the noises outside right now, it's absolutely true, okay? Some of the, some of the statistics, and actually they're kind of hard to find because all of the statistics that if you, if you punch into a, you know, a Bing search or whatever you use, college partying, everything is really tied to drinking. There's been a lot of studies done on drinking, not as much on, on partying. So, but here's some of the things that I found, okay? Odds are that 75% of you have attended some sort of party over the last 30 days. Now, the, the, the caveat on that is that that party, in order for it to be called a party in this study, uh, definitely included alcohol, okay? Um, and that of that 75% of you, 83% have had at least one drink at those parties, one alcoholic beverage, okay? And, and it, I thought this was interesting. The, the highest percentage of, of um, college drinkers is freshman men. So they're underage and they're freshmen and they're dudes, okay? For whatever it's worth, that's, I, I'm not making this up. That's just what the stat that I read said. Okay, and then check this out. Last year, 33, this was a study at Penn State, by the way, not at UW. I'm sure we're a lot better. You know, or SP, you know, even better if we include our good friends at SPU or SU. But last year, 33% of all undergraduate students admitted to missing at least one class because of a, a post party hangover. Okay, so all that to say, the statistics say that y'all like to party. I would argue that, that if we expanded our definition of party, that we would capture even more people in this room. Um, that I certainly believe that in order for there to be a party, there does not necessarily have to be alcohol present. That if we were to have a bigger definition of party, my guess is that we've all experienced something like that uh, in, in the last month. So if you guys like to party, the God that Jesus is teaching about here should be gaining a little bit of traction with you. Now, there's something pretty important here that I don't want you to miss. I've scratched at it already, and I want to continue to emphasize it. That the Father doesn't wait for people to get themselves to be good enough. We need to connect with the reality of how important it is that all of this goes down in the midst of shame and brokenness and judgment. And I'm sure that there's a lot of sorrow that went along with the son saying, hey, give me my inheritance, let me go, and, and let me do damage to myself. Now, this is really important because this isn't just a hollow sense of partying. This is celebrating. Okay, and I want you to, to imagine the difference between those two things. A party versus a, a bit of a celebration. For me, the difference is that a party may not necessarily have basis. A celebration does. Okay? That this happens in real life. If we wait for all the conditions to be right, if we wait for ourselves to feel like celebrating, would we ever celebrate? Would we ever say yes to the invitation. It is in the messiness, the brokenness, and the chaos of life that the invitation comes down. 
Now, this is an image, this, this God of celebration that is consistent throughout scripture. In the Psalms, we hear David uh, celebrate God as one that invites his people to a banqueting table, an image that is, that is filled with, with celebration and grace and, and love. And then, of course, in John 3, the first miracle that Jesus does is at this wedding at Cana. And Jesus changes water into wine just to keep the party going and to save a young couple from the profound shame that they would have experienced if they would have run run out of wine at an ancient Jewish wedding, okay? They would have been known as that couple, (laughs) There's the couple that ran out of wine at their wedding. <laughs> okay, Jesus changes water into wine to keep the celebration going. Now, one last note that we can't miss here. It's captured again in the reality that from the distance, the older son could hear music and dancing. I imagine because there were a lot of people there. As you can see in this picture, there's, the, there's the, the father with his hands on the younger son, the older son standing there looking on, and, and in this projection, it's harder to see, but there are faces in the background. You see, this was a party for the entire community of people that were around uh, this, this father's house. All are invited The understanding is that there would have been a lot of workers. It says that the father turned and summoned the servants to join, to to go get things ready for the celebration and then to join in. Even people who had no role in bringing the younger son back from his lostness are invited to join in the joy of the father. They're invited to join in the joy of the father. Uh, Like I said, this past Saturday, I had a chance to go Uh, to the Husky football game this weekend in Chicago. And one of the things that I think I enjoy about being a fan, okay, whether, you, you know, pick the thing that you might be a fan of. One of the things that I enjoy about being a fan is simply being able to participate in the joy of others. Think about how great that is. I got to go and, and along with thousands of others, I walked out of Soldier Field feeling like a million dollars and I never had to go to one practice I never had to lift one weight. I never had to get yelled at by one coach. And yet I walked out of there feeling like I kind of owned Chicago, okay? I was able to take in, I I was able to connect with the joy of others, certainly other fans, but even the joy of of those uh, those young men and coaches that had worked so hard to accomplish what they did in a college football game. Oh no, the V went down. (laughs) Taking joy in the joy of others. It's part of what the community is in, uh, what we're invited to as a community. So we have here a parable of a father who has good eyes and doesn't wait and seems to invite everyone to this party, to a celebration. So again, I ask you, is that the image of God that you have? As you sit here tonight, is that the image of God that you have? One that is dying to celebrate you, 
to celebrate with you and is inviting so many others to join in that celebration. Too often, we have a mental model of God as some sort of divine deadbeat. We see God that is, is one who is a lot quicker to judge than to party. We have an image of God that if there is a celebration, it will only be when one earns it. So often, it's not just here. The picture that scripture shows us is that God is eager to invite and to celebrate. God is eager to invite you and celebrate you way more than you are eager to accept the invitation. What's the image of God that you have tonight? Friends, let it be a God of celebration. Maybe change your mind about God as a God of celebration. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is one that says God is eager to throw you a party, to celebrate when there are signs of life, when that which is dead is alive, when that which was lost is found. So the question, again, is that if we can change our minds and know of a, a God who celebrates, what does that look like in our lives when we, believe that, when we believe this? What does it look like, really, if we believe this? Perhaps it means that you don't have to try so hard to find a party, to find a place to be celebrated because you already are. Perhaps it means even the middle, in the middle of sorrow and brokenness that God is longing to meet you in that place. Perhaps it means, as the prophet says, your mourning will be turned to dancing. Perhaps it means that because you know you are celebrated, you can be eager to celebrate with others instead of judging others. And so my hope as we gather tonight, as we continue in this school year together, is that you would know more fully a God that is eager to party with you, to celebrate with you. That you might notice where you think of God first and foremost as eager to judge you and that you would know that God is eager to celebrate you as God's own beloved child. Believe that tonight. Give it a try. And finally, on this week before school starts, I want to invite each and every one of you, whether you are here for the first time or whether this has been your community for several years now, can we be a community that shows this neighborhood a God that is dying to celebrate with them. Not condemn them, not judge them. What would it look like for us to be that type of community that communicates about a God of celebration? Let's get to know that story and let's have a blast this year as we seek to show this neighborhood a God that celebrates when that which was dead is alive and that which was lost is found.
the God of celebration loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you that you throw us a party when we don't feel like it. Thank you that you are generous and kind and able <laughs> to invite us in in those moments of lostness and those moments of chaos and brokenness. And Lord, uh, change our minds um, where they need to be changed about who you are that we might be eager to celebrate with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.